Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Welcome back. Welcome back to Duke Loves Wrestling, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. I don't know what the heck is going on in the world right now, folks, but for some crazy reason, it is going to be nearly 70 degrees here in sunny Boston, Massachusetts. I mean, it's crazy. It's really crazy. And, and you know, even the, the, the snow that we've had this year wasn't much. It's been a fairly mild winter. Uh, knock on wood there. Uh, that was my head, by the way. But it, it's been a fairly mild winter. So it's just interesting that it's so warm today. And, and anyone who's been listening to the show for the, the past five years, you know, the Duke is a polar bear. All right. I was born during a snowstorm. I'm a winter baby. So, you know, once the if the temperature gets up to past 74 degrees, you get a little uncomfortable. So I'm going to I'm going to deal with shorts today and all that good stuff. But let's hope that it just stays at 70 and below and doesn't creep too much further up here. I can't deal with it. That's right. Listen, this week, I I have a a very interesting discussion with somebody who is just really sharp, putting out some great material out there and, and, and has some strong opinions online just about the state of pro wrestling. Um, and I wanted to have them come on the show and, and, and speak primarily about AEW. You know, they, they just added that AEW Revolution pay-per-view, and there were some things that happened there that sparked some interesting online discussion. And just, you know, from a general standpoint, what, what do you think about the new kid on the block? So without further ado, I want to bring to the show here a guy who is a fellow East Coaster, although by way of uh, Pennsylvania. So we got to find out if, if he's ever uh, worked for Dunder Mifflin uh, with our friends over there. <laughs> Brenton, I don't know. But uh, my man, Adam B. What's going on there, Adam? Duke, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited uh, about this. And to answer your question, no, I have not worked for Dunder Mifflin, but I have driven by Scranton. So if that helps. <laughs> well, because I, I need to get the inside scoop on if paper is really that much better in Scranton than it is everywhere else, man. I, I got to know this. I mean, it, it, it is. It is. I feel like when you when you have a, a an esteemed place like Dunder Mifflin... Uh, it, it paper is just it, it just excels to the next level and i feel like that is is just it's just sort of the baseline when you're in scranton you just know that paper the feel the the texture uh the the way it writes i mean it's just it's just all in all in its glory you just kind of have to bask in it uh so yeah that's yeah i, I believe it is well we'll talk about this <laughs> offline but i'm thinking maybe if i if i slide you some uh some some lobsters and a little clam chowder then you give me a hookup on some business cards or something some, some of that absolutely fancy glossy paper or something else. Of course. I I will send you some of that, and I'll go back to Philadelphia as well, and I'll get you a WizWit, um, which you definitely need to know how to order that properly when you're in Philadelphia. So, Well, you know something, Adam? I, I know that we're going to get into the AEW talk, but but I'm a food guy, so we're going to talk about this first. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and I, and I want to let you know that I'm going to be a little offensive here. So if you have to beat me up later, that's fine. I, it wouldn't be the first time <laughs> I've got my ass kicked, so it probably won't be the last <laughs> I think, I th- in fact, Thunder Rosa owes me an ass whooping too. So it's it's kind of you, you'll just have to get in line. Um, <laughs> That's fine. 
But that's fine. I've been to Philadelphia, and in okay. fact, I was at the first Ring of Honor show. Uh, the era of honor begins. I literally hopped into oh. a van with a bunch of other New Englanders from all over New England, Maine and New Hampshire and Massachusetts, and we went to Philly. We got to meet a bunch of the wrestlers, and, and we were on the show. I'm actually on the DVD as well. Um, oh, that's awesome. But the, the, the part that kills me is that we stopped at, I think it's Geno's. Is it Geno's? Uh, we yeah, and that's your first Geno's. problem right there. Yeah. We got a Philly cheesesteak. And listen, here in Massachusetts, here in Boston specifically, we have what are called steak and cheese subs, okay, where you have your chopped mm-hmm. steak and, and, and you know, it's, it's properly seasoned and all that good stuff and it's on the roll, but the, the cheese is actually cheese, okay? It's actually okay. cheese and it's usually like a, like a white American cheese or whatever the hell it is. I don't know. Um, I, I don't ask questions. I just know that I, I grew up on it and I eat it uh, and it tastes good, but this Philly cheesesteak business. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna be be very clear with you right now, Adam. And 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 you may not like me after this, but I think it's a terrible sandwich. I think I think that it's offensive that Philadelphia has has built its reputation on this thing and tried to talk it up as being this great sandwich when it's not great. And I'm gonna need your personal information after this, Adam, because I'm probably gonna <laughs> sue you over this. Okay. So I just want to put that out there so we're clear. All right. <laughs> Well, listen, here's the problem. Here's your first problem that you went to Geno's. Don't go to Geno's and don't go to Pat's. Take it from someone who grew up in the Philadelphia area. Both of those places are tourist traps. They are the flashbang. I'll put it to you this way. They are the AEW of Philadelphia cheese. All flash, no bang. If you want a solid cheesesteak and you want something good, go to, there's a great place down off of Market Street called Cleavers. It's a little bit more expensive, but it's worth it. Or you can go to any local deli in the Philadelphia or surrounding suburbs and get yourself a solid cheesesteak. They do it correctly. There's a specific way that it's done, and it has to be done right. And I feel like when people look at Philadelphia and they look at the cheesesteak business in Philly, they're specifically focused on Geno's and Pat's. And it's just the wrong way to start. It's just the wrong way to go. You want to get away from there as quickly as possible, and you never want to go back there. Because once you go to one of them tiny little delis, you go down to South Philadelphia, you find a tiny deli down there, or even a pizza shop, All every place you could throw a rock and hit five places that'll make a better cheesesteak than Gino's. Or well, you go to Cleaver's. Yeah. Well, listen, Adam, you are a, uh, you're the voice of the voiceless. You know, Adam <laughs> B., you are a man of the people. So That's I'm going to... I'm going to adjust my lawsuit and sue you for not telling me back in, in 2001 not to go to one of these these uh, shops that, that promote themselves as so great and to actually go down the street to a real deal place and get a damn mm-hmm. sandwich that's worth my time. Okay. Exactly. Yep. And, and hey, you know what? I'll engage my counsel and we'll uh, we'll figure it out. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. That's. <laughs> hey, listen. At least you're a reasonable guy. That's why you're the voice of the, hey, of the people there. Uh, the voice of the voiceless, Duke. That's what I do, my friend. That's why I'm here. So, That's right. Now, listen. You you have your own show, and I know that you I know do. later on we're going to plug social media and websites and what have you. But real quick, why don't why don't you give me an idea? Um, what's a, what's a typical episode like on on your uh, flagship? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So my show is called Foundation Radio. Uh, it's a podcast I've been doing for about two years now. It, it's kind of a grab bag. It's it's everything that's encompassed in my world thrown into one place. Uh, I do a bunch of interviews. I've had Bill Goldberg on my show. I've had Asher Roth, Conrad Thompson. I love the idea of exploring someone's story or someone's anything, uh, a piece of their life, a new project. I love the idea of exploring it and taking it 
getting granular. So I had a really great success in talking to people. And then a bunch of my buddies come and join me on the show and we play Dungeons and Dragons or we do something called the Beer Summit where we drink a bunch of crappy beers at 930 in the morning on a Saturday and we air it. It's kind of a mixed bag of everything, but I feel like it's the best representation of what goes on in my life and goes on in my head. So if you like Dungeons and Dragons or you like interviews with Bill Goldberg or just conversations in general, you know where to you know where to stop by. And and I can vouch the the conversation with Bill Goldberg is just pure gold. I mean, I, I encourage everybody to listen. Uh, really, really powerful stuff there, um, especially from a perspective of bullying and what have you. Just really, mm-hmm. you know, strong quality discussion there. So I, I tip my hat to you for that, uh, Adam. <laughs> Have you ever met Conrad Thompson? I have actually. Yes, I met. I actually was the photographer. So I'm a photographer as well. I'm sort of a jack of all trades. I was the photographer at the very first 83 weeks live event in Baltimore, Maryland at Jimmy C. I met Conrad in person. Uh, I met Eric Bischoff as well, which was just unbelievable to me, Eric in person. But yeah, I have met Conrad before. So so Conrad is a, is a big supporter of Duke Loves Wrestling. He's been on the show a bunch of times through the years. Um, he and I go back to his, you know, the Ric Flair show and Wu Nation, his first few podcasts there. Um, so when when Conrad and Bruce Pritchard hit the road for something to wrestle with and they, they made a stop here in Boston, uh, he said, yeah, come down, man, what have you. So, you know, we, we go down there and I meet this guy. And let me tell you something, Adam. I am not the biggest guy in the world, okay? I am a a, a very tall, five foot six inches. Uh, so you know, and and when you're standing next to a guy like Conrad Thompson, whose head is the size of my body, um, <laughs> it was a very interesting contrast. Yeah, <laughs> stand next to this guy who literally is the size of Earthquake, and and meanwhile, oh man, you know, I'm the size of Sky Low Low. So you know. <laughs> I am somewhere between Darby Allen and I guess maybe Ricochet, and I feel like I sort of had the same dynamic. I always tend to feel like, even when I met Kevin Nash, I mean, Kevin Nash is what, like seven foot eleven, you know? I it, it felt a lot like Laurel and Hardy in a lot of ways, except there wasn't a heavy guy. It was just this really tall person next to me. Um, what I dig so much about Conrad and his programs as well, I just love, I feel like he's passionate like we are. And he was able to translate that and take it to the next level. And most times I spend my time trying to emulate his ability to get into that granular detail and really dig deep into people's stories. And I I just, I I think he's a wonderful guy. And I was very, very lucky to have him on my show. We got to talk a lot about, I I rapid fire questioned him uh, at the very end. I gave him a little bit of that, that Bruce Pritchard treatment, but I was very, I felt very lucky. And then also just to be in the presence of someone like Eric Bischoff and and that wrestling mind, I was just blown away. But uh, I would, if you get a chance to check that episode out too uh just let me know what you think but i'll definitely put that on my list because uh <laughs> I, I know you know thompson is, is the kind of guy that he will bring up something on during an interview that you haven't heard him say anywhere else yes so he, he likes to drop little exclusives there which is pretty cool yes you know and and and, and by the way you know, Conrad, you and I still got beef over the fact that you married into the Flair family. Oh, man. I'm, I'm still waiting to be adopted in. Okay. Um, so you know, we'll talk about that another time as well. I was going to say, well, um, you know, you uh, can put me on that list too if you want, Duke. I'm, I'd be more than happy to, to, to come into the Flair family as well. Well, I just think that Conrad's a little selfish that he doesn't help his friends out and, and at least adopt us. So, I, I look, so I, we can I, say that we're part of it, right? I took the pictures for 83 weeks. It's the least he could do. That's, you know, I feel like that's a fair trade. He he owes you that much. There's no two ways about (laughs) it. He owes you that much. Agreed. I agree. I agree. 
Well, here's what we'll do, Duke. When we engage our council together, I'll engage my council on that subsection, and we'll just have it take care of all at one shot. That's it. That's it. Get it all done. Get it all done. <laughs> so listen, this this AEW revolution business, and and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to go over the whole pay per view because it, it just there was a lot of there was a lot of muck in there. I mean, these guys couldn't even get their feed together at one point, which is not a surprise. Yeah. But um, I I want to focus on the quote unquote cinematic match because. It's something that the WWE has done. A lot, of, a lot of promotions have done here and there through the years. But because of COVID-19, more recently here, uh, it's become a big hot-button discussion. I mean, we saw AJ Styles and The Undertaker. They did their thing. Bray Wyatt and, and uh, Randy Orton did something a little similar and what have you here. Um, but this cinematic match that AEW did where Sting was really the, the main focus and then you had a bunch of bit players around him, uh, what's your initial thought on on their presentation? So I had a couple of thoughts as I was watching it, and I jotted them down because I didn't want to forget about them. What I can say is that overall, I really enjoyed watching that match. I really enjoyed the the feeling. It felt a lot like almost like a really dark, gritty, almost like I was watching Batman in some respects. It felt very true to the character and the storyline of Sting, how he was portrayed in WCW, you know, the, the unlikely hero, the un, unwilling savior of WCW. I felt that was a nice nod to that character and that storyline. There was stuff that was missing for me, I think, just overall. And I'm not sure if it's necessarily a representation of my, I don't want to say disinterest with AEW, but sort of my issue with the cult of personality around it. But I did have notes that I felt like they missed. It did leave me wondering why Vince McMahon passed on the opportunity to put Sting in a cinematic match with The Undertaker. And I think that's one thing that's really stuck with me throughout the past couple of days since the since the match is why they would have passed on something like this when they had the opportunity. Okay, so what do you think about that, though? I mean, we know that Sting did get injured. You know, thanks a lot, right. Seth Rollins. Uh, that that <laughs> buckle bomb created a whole right. big to do where where Sting had a had a stinger, <laughs> as they used to call it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. But he was in bad shape. I mean, he he could barely walk. He could barely move for a little bit of of time there. And then he said during an interview that one day it just kind of went away. Uh, and he said he's felt fine since, right? That's the basis of my understanding of the situation. And let's not, I, I, I want to make sure that we're, we're clear about this as well, too. I mean, that very possibly could have paralyzed him and potentially killed him. That was a very serious situation. So I do understand why he took the steps that he did. I, I don't know if I've necessarily gotten the, the understanding or the clarity as to how Sting was able to get cleared. I mean, especially at an advanced age, too. I mean, like, let's be honest. Sting is 61. He is not the Sting of the WCW era. Uh, or even the, the early TNA days. Uh, but I think for the limitations and the the scope of what he was able to do, I thought they did a fantastic job. Uh, I don't want to say covering it up because that's not the right phrase, but I feel like they did a, they, a masking is a better word. They did a fantastic job of masking the limitations of Sting at this time, whether or not he still has a cervical spinal stenosis or, or he was able to repair that. Was, we don't know. I don't think that information has been given. Um, I think it ties back into, and I'll tie this back into The Undertaker as well with, with that the idea of the cinematic match. Um, I feel like there is uh, kind of comparing and, and contrasting this to you know the Boneyard match in 
and my personal favorite of the cinematic matches is the Firefly Funhouse match. I know that's, that might be a, a controversial statement, but that was, I think for me and my taste, uh, was probably not just one of my favorite pieces of wrestling content ever done, but also one of my favorite pieces of performance art that was ever done. Um, I won't necessarily add the swap match in there, but if I'm looking at the Boneyard, the Funhouse, and, and, and the Street Fight together, I feel like the three of them really set the tone for how the future of pro wrestling can and where you can take some of these matches that never happen and take it into the next level. But I feel like this particular match, the street fight, was missing an element for me. Now I don't know if it was because the commentary that was over top of it. First of all, let's let's if we can, let's just, let's break this down into sections. The commentary was completely unnecessary. And to me, the entire time I'm watching the match, it distracted me from the match. Um, I am, I'll put it out there. I am not a fan of Excalibur's commentary. Um, I don't know exactly how uh, you could vote him over Samoa Joe in the, the Observer Awards, but that's okay. Everyone has their own taste. I could not get past listening to Excalibur. Almost, it feels like he, to me, it feels like he phones it in when he does his commentary. And it, it was very distracting. I'm a, I'm a big JR fan. I, I love JR. I love the idea of having Tony Schiavone there. I just felt like it was very cumbersome on top of the match and on top of the music and the feel and the theme of it. I feel like I would have enjoyed seeing Taz involved in it as well. I, I'm a huge, uh, you know, going back as far as I can remember, I'm an ECW mark. You know, I grew up in Philly. It was just part of what we did. And Taz has always been one of my favorite performers. I felt like I, I really missed that element of Taz inside of this match because it's Team Taz, right? So you want to see Taz in this. I want to see that gritty FTW Taz from from the, the old school just come in and just start going crazy with Sting. I mean, that to me is it would have been amazing but i feel like there was a missing narrative to me the way they sort of recapped the the idea of the street fight the way they recapped it it kind of felt smushed and rushed together and there wasn't a, a driving story or narrative that was really clear making me care about why sting is in in this street fight why darby allen is in this string uh, the street fight so i think to me that was a huge component of what was missing however right. You, go ahead. Hold, I'm sorry. Hold on a go second ahead. there before before we go further because you're pushing my thinking as my bodyguard would say. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I, I I knew that something was irritating about the commentary during the match, and 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 you you hit the nail on the head for me right there. We didn't need it at all. We could have just had right. the action, right? Exactly, and I think that's what made that's what made matches like the Boneyard match and and the Firefly Funhouse match so good. It took them to the next level. Is because there was no need for commentary. The story is telling itself. They are giving the commentary. Undertaker and AJ Styles are talking to each other. They're you know they're they're talking smack to each other during the entire match. I mean, obviously, you know that the 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 dialogue is what drove the Funhouse match in the first place. Without that dialogue, it, it would be there wouldn't be any story. There wouldn't be nothing. There wouldn't be anything. There. But I feel like it was a completely unnecessary addition to something that was already next level. And I think that to me, that was the biggest disappointment about watching that match was, was I had to mute it. I had to turn it down. I was like, I can't listen to this as much as I want to listen to JR and that the team of, of Jim Ross and Taz again, which is one of my favorite commentary teams of all time. I just, it was unlistenable. Uh, and I think that that really took it away from me. I made a notes a couple of times. And one of the notes I highlighted here is I cannot stress enough how much I dislike the commentary going on. So yeah, I think that was that was something that really disappointed me. Uh, but there was a lot to really like about this as well. Uh, the the way that the camera angles and the, and the way, I mean, Darby Allen was really, really fun to watch in this match. Uh, he seems like a real asset to the company. Uh, and also he could be the person that potentially carries that really dark sting style banner into 
into into the new era of wrestling, and I really enjoyed watching him. Uh, Brian Cage looks like a monster. Uh, you know, he looks fantastic. Ricky Starks was great too. So all of the performers inside of the match, I thought, really shined uh, in this particular match. Um, there was a couple times that really popped hard. You know, that the callbacks with the Sting when you know, Darby Allen throws Sting the bat, and you realize you're like, oh my god, it's coming, it's here, and it really took it old school. I really enjoyed that. So there was definitely a lot to really like about this match. You know, you, you you're saying some interesting things here, which is allowing me to understand more clearly how I felt about the match. Because my initial reaction to it was, I don't like it, but I don't necessarily dislike it. It's just kind of, okay. Um, But there are reasons why. So number one, I think when you have a guy like Ricky Starks, with his ability on the mic and his wrestling ability, I don't want to ever see Ricky Starks in another cinematic match again. Okay, So that's number one. We got to get him out of that situation. Ricky Starks should be actually wrestling and driving storylines with the microphone on his own or leading the faction or what have you. So we got to have that. Uh, I don't want to see Darby Allen on the flip side ever wrestling. I don't I don't necessarily like Darby Allen's style as a wrestler. I, I think that he does a lot of death-defying stunts that don't make any sense, um, and it just doesn't work for me. But I will say this. Those little movie clips that he, that he does uh, before a match, where he's telling a story regarding something having to do with his with his opponent. You know, it's always really interesting to see him do that kind of creative stuff and what have you. And I think that his style lends itself to this other level of wrestling, this this almost lucha underground style of storytelling through cinema, so to speak. So I'm I'm really compelled and interested in seeing him involved in more things like this. Obviously, agreeing with you on the Sting front, the cinematic stuff is the way to go with him. That's how you're going to extend his his uh, career. And plus, nobody wants to see him wrestle and possibly get hurt again. That's just, that just wouldn't make any sense. And then you have a guy like Brian Cage, which I just feel like AEW doesn't know what to do with him. I mean, the guy looks like a million bucks. The guy clearly should just be out there destroying people. And you have him in every situation, doing something other than what you should be doing with him, which is just make him be a monster. Just have him beat the hell out of people and be involved in these these really long-term storyline-driven segments here that culminate in just fighting, you know, just what he does best. So it's very screwy the way that they use him. So because of those individual elements, I guess that's what took me out of this situation. Although overall, I do feel like it was a decent effort sans the the commentary, you know, but just to hammer the point home one last time, though, a guy like Ricky Starks has no business being involved in it. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Ricky Starks should have been competing for one of the championships on the pay-per-view, and he should have had a couple of minutes on the mic leading up to it and would have you selling it. So, you know. Six in one, half a dozen in the other. I don't. I don't know if you agree or disagree on that front. There, I, I do. Yeah, I do. I. I. I really. I'm in full agreement with everything you're saying. I feel like Darby Allen, maybe that's the reason why I enjoyed Darby Allen so much in this match is because this seems like the perfect spot for him. The the, the promos and everything that led up to it, he's he's unbelievable in that realm. Perhaps I need a little bit more information or context to watch him in the ring. I I, I wasn't. I haven't always been impressed with his work in ring, but I felt like this was really, really fun to watch. And I felt like this, if they are going to utilize him in this way, I mean, he could, he could really take it to the next level. I agree with Brian Cage. And I think maybe that's part of my, my big criticism with AEW overall is that they don't 
really know how to utilize the talent that they have. Somebody like Brian Cage, somebody like Miro is another great example. There, It seems as though they don't know what to do with Miro. They don't know what to do with someone like Brian Cage. I don't think they always knew what, know what to do with somebody like John Moxley. I feel like there's a lot of, there's a huge learning curve with AEW that comes with being the new kid on the block and comes with this brand new startup uh, organization. For everything good that they do, I feel like you get a situation where, you know, sometimes it feels like there's more missed spots than there are that are connected. Uh, You get a situation like the end of the barbed wire deathmatch, which was just abysmal. Whether or not you agree that Kenny Omega is the greatest in the world and whether or not you agree that that match overall was solid, it's really difficult to look at that match and not think about the the ending, you know, that, 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 that super botched ending with the way you've built this up and built this match. And it's just, it fall, it fell flat on its face. And I think that's one of the reasons I, I feel like a lot of times I feel sort of disconnected from the idea of getting into AEW. It feels a lot like it's the boys and you need to be involved in this because otherwise you're on the outside. And it doesn't feel to me, and again, for my tastes and my personal preferences, it doesn't feel like AEW makes me feel like I want to be included in this. It doesn't make me feel like I want to be a part of this and watch this. And I don't really know why. I can't really pinpoint the reason as to why I don't feel connected or why I don't feel like I'm a part of this this sort of like this this club. Uh, But I feel like there's a lot of things that are left to be desired about this. And that's not to say that WWE does it any better. I mean, there are a lot of things that are left to be desired about WWE. But WWE has been in this long enough and they've been doing this for a long time where they continue to be profitable and they continue to, to churn out really really great things. Roman Reigns is a heel. Roman Reigns is one of the greatest things in, in professional wrestling right now. I mean, him and Paul Heyman, that teaming, my God, I could watch that all day long, but I really feel like there's something, there's an element missing all the way through everything with AEW. There's just something that's missing from, I hope that they find it, but I, I, I just really feel like there's, there's just a piece that's missing for me over. Well, you know, and, and, and I, I have an idea um, based on what I like out of modern pro wrestling, right? And I think that because you and I agree on so many different things uh, from a philosophical standpoint in life in general, Adam, I think you and I, we're probably on the same page on this front here. You have a situation where people like you and I are are very serious about our, our morals in life it's not a it's not a fad it's not a gimmick when we when we say we're serious about diversity and inclusion when we say we're serious about speaking up on behalf of of the less fortunate and others um you know what i mean because of our life experiences because of our family dynamics here we have a yes. certain sense of business, uh, sensibility about standing up for the rights of people who may not be in positions where they can stand up for themselves and i think that once you're in that space it trickles down and it kind of changes your outlook on life in general, where you want to see more of a mixed bag of things and 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 you want to see more parity in, in a lot of instances. And the issue with AEW is that, like you said, it's, it's the boys who are essentially popping each other and who are booking their friends and hiring their friends. And, and then the challenge becomes, well, who do we push and how do we push them? Because if we push Miro too hard, this 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 big hulking, fantastic guy who is from a whole other part of the world and who has all other types of experiences that he can bring to the table and who's been a television star for the past five, six, seven years. If we push this guy too hard, then that's going to take away from our friend. 
Meanwhile, our friend is not even on his level. So it's like, well, what the hell did you bring Miro in for if you're just going to have right. him playing patty cake with Kip Sabian? It doesn't even make any sense. I don't even know who Kip Sabian is, and I don't care to know who Kip Sabian is. So you, you look at that. You look at the way that they, they book the women's division, where they act as if they can't feature more than one women's match per week on Dynamite. If they do, it's like the world is going to end. You know what I mean? And I know that you know, the upcoming week, I guess they're finally going to do it. But um, it just it's very bizarre because, once again, people of color, women, uh, LGBTQ+, the whole notion of booking people within these, these, these uh, groups strong and featuring them as the superstars that they are and putting them in positions where legitimately they're the ones with the action figures. They're the ones who get the web shows. They're the ones who are being interviewed on, on your local news and on worldwide news and what have you. They're the ones who are on continuous loop on TMZ and ESPN, not Cody Rhodes, right? It's because we're looking right, right. for more of that. I think that's where the disconnect is with AEW because they go out of their way not to deliver that, even though they said that they were going to lead with that. And when you look at a WWE, warts and all, because they do a piss poor job across the board and they have for the majority of their history. But the, the thing with WWE is because they have so much content and because they have so much experience, they figured it out over the past five years where they at least give you enough of a little bit of everything where you can say, well, at least they gave me something, you know, and I, and I never feel like AEW gives me much of anything <laughs> other than the same old garbage. <laughs> right. And that's, and I, I completely agree with everything you're saying, Duke. And that's, that's really where I was going with it. It feels like for a company that led with the premise that we are going to be all inclusive and we are going to do all these amazing, you know, progressive, wonderful things, which is obviously a great thing to be doing. They haven't really done much of that. I mean, let me put it to a little bit more context too. Bobby Lashley. Let's talk about Bobby Lashley for a second. Bobby Lashley deservedly won the WWE Championship. I guess it was last week or the week before. Dude is a monster, right? I mean, he is a, 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 a brick shithouse. He is everything you want out of a champion. He looks the part. He plays the part. He is the part. And he also happens to be African-American. And I think that's a really great thing. I don't see I don't see the potential for a situation like Bobby Lashley in an AEW setting. Well, you, you don't, you don't it. see it, Adam, because they have not positioned a single black wrestler in AEW right. to step into that. It's not that they don't have the talent that they could actually promote to that degree right. and, and be a credible champion be a credible face for the company but the problem is they have not invested in any way shape or form in any black wrestler in that company on that scale you know what i mean right. meanwhile and that's where i was yep that's where i was getting at yeah you, you got guys like cody uh, obviously kenny omega and moxley and jericho but you got cody you got mjf you got orange cassidy you got a bunch of guys who could at any point be the champion of aew and it would make sense based on the way that they've built the company up to the you can't say that about any people of color in that company. And I completely agree. And I think that's that again is 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 part of the overall 
messaging and coding problem of AEW. They're not, for me, they're not living up to that expectation. They're not living up to their own hype. And you're right. You hit it right, that nail right on the head. They hire all of their friends. They're bringing everybody in. Everybody's an executive vice president and everybody's got a role and everybody's got a title. But not everybody can be the top guy. Not everybody can be at the top. So how are you going to decide? So now they're pulling in Miro and now they've just signed Christian Cage and now they're, you know, they pulled in the big shit. They're pulling in all this talent, but they're not doing anything with them. You know, obviously Christian's probably not the best example because he was just signed. But again, what are, what are your plans with a, with Christian? What are, what's the long-term story? What is going to make me as the viewer, as the fan who's in, in taking this content, care at all or be invested with anything that happens in this wrestling organization when you can't even do any, you can't even pull off an ending to a barbed wire match. And I know that sounds sort of, you know, reductive and, and whatever you want to call it, but like you have to make me care. I recently wrote a piece for Culture Pop, which is a site that I write for, about the heel turn of John Cena and the idea of how this could be the time and this could be the moment where. Everything changes in pro wrestling. If you turn John Cena, and I feel like it's the last opportunity that you have to do something like this with a top tier star in the vein of a Hulk Hogan or in the vein of a, you know, the rock or, or stone cold, Steve Austin, John Cena is the last scion and you turn him heel. You, you build off of the Funhouse match. You restart the NWO. You let him go crazy inside of the organization. You even let him into two Oh five live. You just let him go rip shit right through the, through the organization. And you put him up against somebody like an unwilling savior, like the heel Roman reigns. Think about that for a second. I want you to process that in your brain, right? Roman Reigns becomes the modern day sting. He's the unwilling savior of WWE. And he doesn't want to do it, but he's going to do it because he knows that it means it's going to help himself in the long term, right? That will make me invested. I think that's what's missing from all of these organizations right now. It's, and, and, you know, Eric and Conrad have talked about this before. It's, It's the feeling. It's the emotion. You're not investing me in any of these storylines. I, I I don't I couldn't care less about a Kip Sabian because you haven't made me care about him. Why should I care about a, a barbed wire exploding ring death match between John Moxley and Kenny Omega when you've never given me any reason to care about a John Moxley or a Kenny Omega? Conversely, for all the issues that I have with the WWE, they really, really crushed that Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, Miz storyline. When you watch that match and you watch the Miz, the way that the I think Miz is kind of criminally underrated in the way he presents things, whether or not you like his in-ring wrestling style, I felt like he really sold this particular idea. Bobby Lashley is a monster. He hires him and he attacks him in the he attacks Drew McIntyre after the elimination chamber and Lashley goes crazy and Miz comes in and he and he's the you know he is the modern day opportunist, the modern day ultimate opportunist and then payback comes and you watch it and you can feel him selling and you could just feel it when Bobby Lashley just destroys him with the hurt locks you could feel that that made me invested in Bobby Lashley that made me want to keep watching Bobby Lashley and what he's going to do next regardless of whoever it is that Bobby Lashley's going to fight at WrestleMania 37 I want to keep watching him and I want to keep continuing to know what's going to be next for him. It's the first time I've cared in quite some time. I don't give a crap about anything that's going on with Kenny Omega because you're not making me give a crap about it. But I really do believe that as well. They're not utilizing the talent. The women's division in the WWE has come so far and has come leaps and bounds over any other organization, even excluding uh, you know Tessa Blanchard as the TNA champion. Um, I feel like the women's division in the WWE is, is second to none. If for an organization like AEW, who's got an, an expansive amount of, of, of women wrestling, they don't do anything with it. It's just there. It feels like it's just put there. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think you, you you mentioned that a little bit. You touched on it a little bit. It feels like it's just there as sort of a, uh, a something to, to give to us. Like, oh, yes, here is our women's match, but here's everything else. Here's Chris Jericho in the same match we've seen five times. You know, it's just there's nothing there. There's no payoff. There's no there's no delivery on that promise. And I feel like there are, I feel like there are opportunities for AW to build, um, you know, uh, stars of, of, of different colors and, and different, uh, you know, orientations and anything else the opportunity is there, but they keep fumbling the ball and you don't get points for fumbling the ball in the end zone. You know, Adam, you were just a guy that is so sharp and you got your finger on the pulse. And, and I'm telling you, man, I just, I, I really appreciate your sensibility that you bring to the table on whatever you're talking about, why don't you let everybody listening know what's the best way that they can follow you online and, and get your content and what have you? Because truly, I'm, I'm just I'm telling the world right now, this is a person that I follow personally and that I appreciate. And I want you to check them out as well. So why don't you let everybody know, Adam? I appreciate that, Duke. Thank you so much. And I want to just thank you again for having me uh, on the show today. You can find all of my content, all of my writing, my photography on thisisgoober.com. You can find all of my information there. I have a blog that I put together. I have a, a, blo- a vlog that I just started doing as well with my family. Uh, you can also check out my show, Foundation Radio. You can find all of my content and all of my archive right there for the podcast. It's at foundationradio.net. You could follow me on Twitter. You could follow me on Instagram. It's the same handle there. It's at this is Goober and all of my stuff will be right there for, uh, and Duke, I really appreciate it. One thing I did want to mention before we go though, however, uh, is I feel like the missed opportunity of Sting and the Undertaker, uh, in this cinematic universe for me. Well, first let me ask you, let me, let me turn the tables a little bit. Uh, how, what are your feelings on the missed opportunity of, of Sting and Undertaker after now watching the fight? I, you know, I, I feel about that match the same way I feel about the missed opportunity of Hulk Hogan and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I feel like there's a reason why it didn't happen. And when I think about Undertaker and Sting today, or even, you know, three years ago, four years ago, it's not really much of a difference there. Even in a, in a cinematic match, I don't know if either one of those guys from a physical standpoint would be able to do enough for it to come out the way that we would hope it would come out. And that sounds kind of crazy, but I, I just feel like the WWE has too much going on to miss out on that opportunity. So there must have been a damn good reason not to. Do it. I mean, Jesus Christ, Goldberg and Undertaker, that match, you saw what happened there. They, they damn near killed each yeah. other. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so when you put that into that kind of context, and I think Hogan in, in, in Austin, going back even further in time, it was kind of a similar situation. Physically, I don't think either one of those guys could have pulled it off. Uh, with each other. You really need a workhorse to kind of do the selling, do the bumping, and kind of lead in that regard. Even in the cinematic match, I mean, Darby Allen busted his ass in that. And, and Ricky Starks, uh, he certainly did as well. Um, you really need somebody to be the punching bag. AJ Styles did it for The Undertaker. Who the hell would have been the punching bag between The Undertaker and, and, and Sting? So that's my only caveat. I would love to see it in their prime, but I think today, I just don't think that they could hold up their end of the bargain from a physical standpoint. And I, I've, I've sort of reflected on it as well. And thinking about the way you're, you're also helping me allow to look at this in a different, different context and a view as well. I think overall, had this have happened in 2003, 2004, I think it would have exceeded expectation. I think for a multitude of reasons, whatever Sting's reasons are, and whether they're good or bad, or Vince McMahon's are good or bad, it is what it is. History is done, and, and the, that that book is written. I do agree, though. I do agree that there would not be someone 
that would be able to take the hits the way that AJ Styles or that Darby Allen during those matches. I think there would be a definite, I feel like if, for me, if the Sting and Undertaker match would have happened, I feel like you would have needed that Bray Wyatt element. I feel like you could have really taken a Sting story and made it just fantastic and used the Undertaker as a prop inside of that match. And I feel like if they would have utilized, maybe kind of mashed those two worlds together with the Boneyard and, and the Funhouse, take them, those pieces, and smash them together and make it so it's a very psychological match without so much physicality to sort of hide the limitations of both of the performers. But I've always been in the camp where, you know, as much as I would love to see Sting and Undertake myself, um, I've always been in that camp where I feel like that match is a lot like Manny Pacquiao and, and Floyd May. No matter what those guys would have done, whether or not it was in their prime or whether or not it was afterwards, words, you know, shortly after either one of those prime, like, like Pacquiao Mayweather, I don't think it would have ever lived up to the hype that most people would have wanted. You know, you look at the the signing of Christian, right? They're hype, big shows, hyping it up. Like it's going to be a game changer and it's going to be this and it's going to be that. And all these amazing things are supposed to happen. And then people are still pissed because it's like, oh, it's just Christian. You know, like, yeah, it's Christian. Like this is freaking awesome. But at the end of the day, that match would have never lived up to the hype unless it was a, you know, five-star match and they would have built it to that point. I just, I, I don't, I don't see how it could have ever built on the legend and how it could have ever delivered on that legend. And I, I think maybe Undertaker's right. There is that, that reality where it's better left theater of the mind. So I, I am disappointed though, after watching that street fight, I feel like something could have been done perhaps psychologically rather than physically. But we'll never know now. And that's that I feel like that's unfortunate. And it will always be one of those things that will just be always be spoken about, like a what if, you know, like a lot like Hogan and, and Austin. That's another strong take there, Adam. Listen, uh, before before I let you go, you got to let me know, man, because I, I know that you're doing this this whole writing thing, too, in addition to your podcasting. What's what's the website there where folks can read some of the stuff that you're writing? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so it's culturepop.com and it's culture with a K, not a C. Culturepop.com. You can read my musings and my theory on how the heel turn of John Cena would be fantastic uh, and would be the shot in the arm of wrestling uh, that is absolutely needed right now. I also just did a piece about Bobby Lashley and some competitors that he could face at WrestleMania. And I also do have a, a piece coming out about Sting and The Undertaker with the cinematic uh, matches. So it all kind of ties together here. But uh, I'm really excited to be joining with them. I just started with them uh, over the past month, and I'm very excited to be their pro wrestling staff writer. So you can check that all out. Again, it's culture popped, culture with a K dot com. Well, hopefully, Adam, uh, you find a way to work in uh, the information about where to get a proper Philly cheesesteak in, in some <laughs> writings. <there. laughs> hey, look, Duke, I will absolutely do that for you. That's, uh, that's my pleasure. And all what I'll do is when I get back to South Philly, I'll make sure I write down a bunch of the places. Josie's is a great place to stop down there in South Philly. You want to check them out. They're fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I'll definitely make sure I, uh, I get that. And obviously, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work that out with the attorneys as well. You know, it's always refreshing to speak to somebody that can share, you know, good information and, and it's well thought out and adam certainly is one of those people who got a lot of respect for that guy and he's right you know he's right about aew i think that they could turn this ship around and in a positive direction but they just they got to want to do it you know and it's it's something else because a lot of folks like to say oh you know duke you're an aew hater and wwe stan and all this other nonsense here and, and i get it i you know, I, I can I can play up to that at times and, and kind of laugh about it, what have you. But at the end of the day, I want AEW to be successful. 
and, and I want them to continue to thrive so that there can, can continue to be more options and jobs for people in the wrestling industry, especially the wrestlers themselves. I don't want them to fail. Of course not. But I think it's important for them to actually deliver on what they said that they would, right? And I do feel that it's important that when it comes to showing the ultimate amount of respect for women and people of color, the same respect that you show the 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 white males that you have in that company, I think that's important. And the and the best way to show respect is two ways. Number one, equality in terms of how they're being featured, and number two, equality in terms of pay. And you could not tell me with a straight face that somebody like Sean Dean can command the same kind of money as somebody like, I don't know, Orange Cassidy or, or even Marco Stunt. You couldn't tell me that with a straight face and, and, and be taken seriously because we just know that's not true. It's just not true. Lee Johnson, you think Lee Johnson is making as much money as Wardlow? Come on, right? There are people in that company. Look at all those guys in the dark order. There are people in that company that have been set up to succeed, and wherever they are in the pecking order, wherever they are when the rubber meets the road, the bottom line, they're doing far better than those who are set up to be featured as much less than, not just less than, but much less, and the women are no different. I mean, we know that there's no way Sheeta is making as much money as, as Kenny Omega, and I mean, Omega is an executive, but she wasn't making as much money as Jericho or, or Moxley either. <laughs> Come on. I don't think any woman not named Brandy Rose is. I don't even think she is either. And I challenge AEW to say otherwise. Now, come on. Is Asuka making as much money as, as uh, Roman Reigns? Probably not. But she, she's probably a lot closer to it than Sheeta is to Kenny Omega or, or Chris Jericho or John Moxley. Come on. Come on. I mean, it's something to talk about. And, and I think that there's something to really dig into in terms of who is the Bobby Lashley of AEW. The closest thing that you have to somebody who could break through like Bobby Lashley has is Scorpio Sky, who's Brandy Rhodes's cousin. Scorpio Sky just won at the pay-per-view. He won that uh, face of the revolution match, grab the brass rink and all that good stuff there, right? Remember that match there? And what happened? He got a, he got a title shot against Darby Allen for the, for the TNT championship and he promptly lost. Another black man lost in AEW. What a surprise, right? This guy, Sean Dean, I think he has a record that, that's like 0-33 or something like that. Give me a break. Lee Johnson's record in AEW is, I think he has four wins and 32 losses. And he's part of the quote-unquote nightmare family with Cody Rhodes and all those, which I think is breaking up, by the way. There's no equity there. The company is a couple years old, and they're just now having women in the main event on Dynamite. Next week, Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker are going to main event, and it's an unsanctioned match, by the way. Come on. And and there may be another women's match on that card, too, which would be one of the first times AEW, might be the first time, on AEW Dynamite, there's been more than one women's match on the same card. We, we just want better. We just want more. We just want something that reflects where we are in society today, because that's what pro wrestling was always supposed to be. And AEW had marketed itself as being that. You're going to be the alternative by being that. Instead, you're the alternative because you're the only major North American promotion that does not deliver that. So, again, thank you, Adam. Great dude. Real great dude there. And, you know, we, we touched upon WWE a little bit, but I'll, I'll say this. They just announced that uh, NXT is going to have two nights, WrestleMania week, 
Wednesday and Thursday, where that'll be their quote-unquote pay-per-view. Night one on Wednesday will air on the USA Network, and night two on Thursday is going to air on Peacock, NBC Peacock Network, online there. And you can bet that women are going to main event one of those nights. You can bet on that. (laughs) I don't think there's any question about that. Ido Shirai is probably going to be in the main event one of those nights, and then Finn Balor is going to be in the main event the other night. Just like WrestleMania, Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair are going to main event one of the nights. WrestleMania this year is two nights. So we're pushing the envelope, baby. I mean, the the, the overwhelming majority of the tag team of, of the champions in WWE right now are people of color. Think about that. In AEW, there's only one person of color who's a champion, and that's Sheeta. Think about that. So I don't know. I don't know. But I, I am excited about uh, the fact that WrestleMania week is coming. You know, can't wait for that. Uh, WWE did announce in conjunction with Peacock. They gave out more information on what's going to happen with the WWE network and how to to gain access to it going forward. So the way that it's going to go down on March 18th, Peacock will officially have the WWE network and and a good portion of 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 the stuff that we're used to seeing is going to be on Peacock network, which is owned by NBC. By SummerSlam, all of the WWE network will be migrated over. So everything that we see now should be on Peacock Network by SummerSlam. But in the meantime, you know, portions of it, because it's a lot of data that's to switch over, portions of the network will be there. The WWE Network as its own standalone, as we've been using it since its inception, will cease operation as we know of it um, in another month. I think by April 18th, it's done. So between now and then, you have time to join Peacock Network and you know, I, I brought it up last week because WWE, they charged people for this past month, which I thought was ridiculous. But Peacock is offering three months complimentary for anyone who joins Peacock Network, any WWE Network customers. who. So I think that's fantastic because that was one of the suggestions that I made. You better give a, actually a, a free month or two something <laughs> since you've done such a piss poor job of explaining how people can access the WWE Network considering the fact that the 18th is right around the corner here. It's a week away. Last week, it was two weeks away. So uh, I don't know. Hey, I'm sure that these were part of their plans from the beginning. If it wasn't, and you heard my ranting and raving, my, my post online, you saw those, and that made you say, oh, well, I guess we better we better do what this guy says, or you know, something bad's going to happen here. He's going to get real pissed off. Okay, fine. I'll take credit. Sure. I'll take credit. Vincent Kennedy McMahon did not want to be removed from my Hanukkah card list, right? I don't give out Christmas cards. I give out Hanukkah cards. And no, I'm not Jewish. I just have always found Hanukkah cards to be more interesting. Um, You're going to celebrate a holiday, celebrate whatever holiday you want. But, you know, season's greetings to you. But, uh, you know, in all seriousness, though, at least they're doing something. Still not enough in my view. I still think they've done a poor job with this rollout, but... We're moving in the right direction, at least. Speaking of the right direction, shout out to those wrestling girls. It's my home girls out there, Queen PR and Krista B. You know, Krista B just uh, celebrated a birthday this past week. They had called out the WWE and, and made it very clear on their program that Molly Hawley needs to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And I guess WWE is listening because Molly Hawley was announced as being the official first known inductee of the 2021 Hall of Fame class. WWE Hall of Fame class. So congratulations to Molly Hawley. Shout out to those wrestling girls using their voice to push the WWE to do the right thing. 
It's fantastic. And I believe Davey Boy Smith, British Bulldog, is going to be inducted this year and a whole host of other folks there. So should be exciting. It's going to be a great WrestleMania week. I do want to close with this uh, sentiment, though. As we have the vaccine rollouts happening and, you know, latest CDC guidelines is that if you have been vaccinated, COVID-19 vaccinated, you can congregate with small groups of people who are vaccinated as well or people who are low risk for contracting COVID-19. As long as people don't have symptoms, you can congregate with them without a mask. But the but the recommendation is not to go to these mass, these these large events and whatever. And when you're out in a general standpoint, still wear your mask. Let me just say this. There's going to be an opportunity for people to be at WrestleMania Live and be part of the festivities for the week. You know, it, Florida is, is one of those states that they put money before safety. And they've all, they always have under this current leadership, this governor who's DeSantis, who's just leaves a lot to be desired in my, in my uh, view here. Let me just say this. Be safe out there, please. Get vaccinated. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Um, I'm not going to be at WrestleMania week. I'm going to stay home. The beer is cheaper. The food is tastier and the atmosphere is safer. My hope for all of you out there is that you do something similar. I can't tell you where to go and how to spend your money and what have you, but I can tell you that I hope that you're safe and staying home this WrestleMania week, just give it in one more year before we start <laughs> going back out like business as usual. I don't think is an unreasonable ask. And I don't really care if WWE attracts zero fans. I care about people's safety. So there's my my thoughts on that. You know, Chris Jericho, he, he put out there this week that Vince McMahon hates the word wrestling. And, if, you know, Vince hates wrestling. He doesn't like it. It's negative to him, wrestling. And he was saying that on another program that has wrestling in its name. But I think, you know, this Duke loves wrestling. has been around longer than them. And I know Jericho and I, we, we sparred a little bit online, so I wouldn't be surprised if <laughs> some of that was being tossed over here as well. And some folks have suggested that. Um, so Vince, you can, you can hate wrestling even more because I'm definitely encouraging my fellow fans to uh, sit this one out and watch WrestleMania at home or in more safer confines as opposed to being anywhere near the live festivities. So if Vince McMahon truly hates wrestling, if Jericho, you thought that was going to hurt my feelings, all it did was amuse me. Uh, but Vincent Kenny McMahon, my good friend, I'm encouraging everybody to sit this one out this year in the interest of, of safety, as opposed to the interest of your fat pocket. It's selfish. It's unreasonable and it's unsafe. So I guess you'll continue to hate wrestling because uh, those of us who love wrestling like the Duke would rather everybody be there it is okay so next week be kind to yourselves be kind to others <laughs> you know people ask me do, do you think tony shivani gets in trouble for closing out your show every week and i, I just remind him you know tony shivani is a good man he's a friend and you know he agreed to be the voice of duke loves wrestling to close it out and that's what he is so without further ado take it away tony shivani This is Tony Schiavone, and we're desperately out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.